Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And we're talking about retraining the police. We don't need to retrain the police. You train dogs and horses and members of the military to react in certain ways to certain stimuli. We don't need police training. They've already been trained way too long and way too badly. We need to re-educate police departments. We need to educate them to the fact that every human being on the face of the earth is a member of your race, my race, our race, and that's the human race. I'm a diverse individual. All of this shit is real. Everybody's like, ah, what is it? Is he a family man? Is he a trapper? Is he a ladies man? Well, I'm all of it. All of it. I beat your ass, kiss your girl, and go tuck my kids in. And then I show up and lead a march on the weekend. <laughs> it's all real. real, real. This is Expeditiously. I am Tilt T.I. Uh-huh. Now, the following experience is not a test. The conversations and stories expressed on this podcast are meant to be an expression of purpose and truth. This show, properly entitled Expeditiously, is a free exchange of ideas and opinions. No judgment, no preconceived beliefs, no fear. You're encouraged to share your thoughts and ask any question as long as it's done with respect. And that's through true love and respect for others that we will change the world and speak truth to power, one show at a time. Now, without further ado, this is Expeditiously. I'm Tip T.I. Harris. It's, it's, so, it's so great to catch up with you. And every time uh, I get a chance to see clips of, of your, your work and your service, um, I'm, I, I, I'm continuously blown away and reminded why I consider you my hero. I thank you for mm-hmm. all that you've done. To, um, wait a minute! Wait, wait, wait! Don't thank us for doing what we ha- we should have been doing all along. We caused the problem. We create. We co- cooperated with the problem, but we helped to perpetuate the problem. Now, don't think what thank one of us when we are standing up and waiting for a change, because what we have been doing is the wrong thing. We've been going along to get along. White women have. Black mm-hmm. women go along to survive. White women, women go along to be in the presence of a white male of significance. The mm. two things are very different. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah, you don't have to thank me for what I do. You don't have to thank me for what I do. What you have to say is, I hope you raise daughters and sons that feel the way you do. And my two daughters do, and so, so do one of my sons. Well, I've met your daughters, and I, I, uh, I would have to say that they have every reflection of all that you have uh, stood for. But they aren't nearly as mean. (laughs) Well, what do you think made you so mean over the years? Me? Yeah, you can be ferocious at times. Well, the situation. (laughs) In fact, that I was raised by a casual Catholic mother and a believing Baptist father, and they never argued about religion because that was one thing to talk about. But my father would say, Never judge a man until you've lived his life. And he'd also say, never judge a book by its cover. And my father would not tolerate that kind of behavior in his home. He was an absolutely honest man. And so when I hear these things and do these things and say these things, I'm saying them because I refuse to lie in order to make money or to keep people loving me. Well, that is incredible. That is, that is a noble 
uh, uh, no, it's not noble. It's, it is. I think it's, it's, noble. it's noble. Because we all choose our journey and our destiny. We are the designers and the architects of our future and our destiny. So for you to make a conscious decision that is uh, founded in, in, in morality and in, in your uh, just what you believe is, is fair and right, I think we don't give credit to the human beings that actually pattern their life like that. You know, uh, that's why I continue to say thank you. And I appreciate all that you. My dad used to say, you know, the difference between right and wrong. I'll do the right thing. God damn it. (laughs) So you did the right thing because you knew the difference. And so do it. So you did it. That's all there is. I mean, it is that simple. It is that simple. Uh, If I could just, how, what is your reaction to the times that we're living in right now? Like the times that we're living in right now. Yes. I hope that it goes on. I hope that all those people of different colors, not different races, because there's only one race on the face of the earth. And what we're seeing is people of all different colors in the human race rejecting what is happening in this country today and it was the death of a young black male on television and seen over and over and over so that we could nail it down that this is what happens to black males who resist even who seem to resist Mm. and we we are sending that message this is an attempt i don't think i don't think the networks feel this way about it but to me what we're showing when we show that over and over and over again, it's an attempt to intimidate black males and their mothers to yeah. let them know this is what can happen to you if you get out of line. And you don't have to get very far out of line. You don't have to be out of line. All you have to be is black in front of the wrong policeman. So I think that people who are resisting are resisting because some of them are getting the same idea that I am. And the only way we're going to stop this is if enough is if enough of us of all different color groups get together and put a stop to this. We have got to get over the idea of several different races. And on television, they keep saying, "Well, that well, there that was a group of mixed races." And I keep saying, "It isn't a group of mixed races. <laughs> There's only one race, the human race." Stop talking about mixed races. And when somebody walks up to me and says, "I'm biracial," I say, "Well, really." Which of your parents came from outer space? <laughs> you get upset about that. I'm supposed to believe that nonsense. You can't possibly be biracial unless you, one of your parents is from outer space. So when these commentators say, and there, there's a lot of racism, this is racial mixing. I'm thinking, oh my God, did somebody come from Saturn to join this group? And I don't think they did. I think we all came from Southern Africa. 300 to 500. 300,000 to 500,000 years ago. And that all those people who are in, who are protesting are descendants of those first modern human beings who were black. Mm. And if you would say to some of these absolutely determined so-called white people that I call pale faces, if you would say to them, if you trace your DNA back far enough, you will find that a percentage of your DNA came from a country in Africa. They go crazy. They Mm. act as if, oh my God. And then they'll say, I'm Caucasian. And I say, well, if human beings had originated in the Caucasian, in the area of in the Caucasus mountains, they couldn't have lived through the first winter because they didn't have any clothes and they'd have frozen to death. Now Mm. give that idea up. 
but I know Caucasian means people of Southern Europe and Western European extraction. But even those people came from Africa. They were descendants of people who, who imagine this, and that we never do. Those people who evolved in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, went from there to populate every landmass on the face of the earth over the centuries. And they had no modern technology to do it. Do you know the reason that you're as good an artist and musician as you are? It's because in your DNA, you have a lot more black than I have in mine. <laughs> and the presence of that, I'm serious about this, the presence of that DNA from those black people makes a difference in people. Make no mistake about that. I'm proud of the teeny tiny amount percentage of DNA in my background because I have no doubt but what that makes me able to and determined to make the world a better place for all of my cousins and every person on the face of the earth is my 30th to 50th cousin. Mm. I get really angry when my pale face comes cousins abuse my cousins of different color groups because of pale face cousins ignorance. You can't call them stupid because you can't fix stupid, but you can <laughs> call them ignorant because you can, you can fix ignorance with education. Now you didn't want to know all that, but you have sure questions. If you want me to say, if you want me to have answers, yes or no questions, don't ask. I could listen to you talk for days on end. Okay, and I, I go all over YouTube. <laughs> I go all over YouTube and and uh, research your many experiments and your many appearances on places like Oprah and other places that you've that you've spoken publicly. But but wait a minute, T.I., you have never seen me do an experiment. It's an exercise or an experience to help people to learn to empathize with those who are different from themselves. And, and what's even more important about that is I go into a classroom or a boardroom or a lecture hall and do an exercise in eye color, mm -hmm. an exercise that was based on what I learned from Adolf Hitler and which is being used in this country based on skin color all day every day now if what i do in that in that time is an experiment then what we have been doing in the united states of america for the last over 250 years is an experiment and mm -hmm. it is illegal and indecent to and and you have no ethics it's unethical to experiment with people without their knowledge and without their permission mm -hmm. my students had the knowledge of what was going to happen and why it was going to happen it wasn't an experiment. It was an experience to let them see the world in a different way and to let them realize that we do not use people as part of an experiment. And that's what we've been doing with black people in this country for 300 years. So, no, it's an exercise. Go ahead and ask your question. Hey, listen, if y'all don't mind, let's take a break from the conversation to expeditionally just to talk about you. Now, for creators like you, it can be hard to find a way to make money off of your craft. Whether you're a singer, writer, or comedian, the system supporting creative people is broken and COVID-19 man the crisis just made it a lot more obvious than ever luckily we have Patreon Patreon offers a better way Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid they help creators build a sustainable income source while offering a monthly membership to your most passionate fans and it gives you the creative freedom to do your best work all right on Patreon you can let your fans become active participants in the work they love by offering them a monthly membership you can give them access on exclusive content, community, and insight in your creative process. And if you're a podcaster, video maker, musician, writer, illustrator, hey, if you're creative like all of us are in some way, shape, form, or fashion, a person of any kind that had any 
inkling of creativity in their body or simply just love a creative person. Now's the time to check out Patreon.com. Now's the time to join the millions of fans and creators who are changing the way that art is valued together. You dig what I'm saying? I research your experiences you. and um, and I'm always just thoroughly impressed and, and blown away by your perspective and how you translate the issues or, or the views you ref, you kind of reflect you should you let them say exactly what they feel and then you show them how it's incoherent white supremacy at best and i i think that the white supremacy that you don't even know exists inside of you because it's so tucked away neatly under uh all of the inundated information or falsities that you've learned uh, from the time you were a child. I think that is more harmful to to us and our communities even than, you know, the overt white supremacy. Well, it, it isn't only white people who are made to look more ignorant and who believe this nonsense. A whole lot of black people have believed this nonsense over the years. And they've had to, if you want to get along, if you want to, if you want to make it, you better get along and go along with this nonsense. And mm. our social studies classes, our social studies textbooks in this country are anti-social studies. You mm. have to realize that we are teaching a lie on a regular basis. If you think I'm wrong about that, then you need to get the book, The Myth of Race by Robert Wald Sussman. The book is absolutely brilliant. The only thing wrong with it, as far as I can see, and I've read it over and over and over because there's so much in there. The problem is the title. The myth of race is not a myth. It is not a myth. A myth is something that you make up to explain a natural phenomenon that you can't understand. So you make up a myth. Like the Greeks made up the myth that the sun was a god that goes across the sky in a golden chariot every day. That's a myth. Right. But the myth of race is a lie. And a lie is something that you make up to justify your undesirable behaviors. It isn't a myth, but if he had called it the lie of race, he wouldn't have gotten it sold. White people <laughs> would not buy. I'm, I'm serious about this. White people wouldn't buy a book that talks about the lie of race because that was a lie to everything that they have been taught all their lives. And if you don't believe me, you need to read this book. Have you read The Color of Law? I have not. I will go get it. Oh, my God, get this book. It will blow you away when you realize some of the things... And they are, it's so sensible, and I should have known. Parents' economic status is commonly replicated in the next generation. So once government prevented African-Americans from fully participating in the mid-20th century free labor market, depressed incomes became, for many, a multi-generational trait. All you have to do is keep one generation at a low rate, at a low wage, make them work for less than they're worth, make them work as often as you can, and pay them less, and then they don't have enough money to put money they don't have enough wages to put money away so they can't have a savings account so they have nothing to turn to hand down to their children so you can make that go on generation after generation after generation and we'll be unto the black person who makes too much money we'll soon find a way to put a stop to that very true you very have to read this book and if you do, you'll read, you'll realize that the people who wrote the laws learned the same stuff that you and I did. They believed the same myths that our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents did, which was that if you're white, you're all right. <laughs> you, you have to read this book. You won't, you won't realize what the laws are all about until you read that. 
And then mm. before you read that, read this. Okay. See those two children? Yes. Those girls are twin. Oh. Those are twin I... girls. And if you if you open this and you look to one page, and here is a picture of a map that shows where we started and where those brilliant black people moved across the face of the earth without mm. any modern technology. And we mm. have convinced them and ourselves that they aren't as smart as we white folks are. But I pull up to the stop sign in Osage, Iowa. There's a, and a, there's a big trucker sitting on my right side. Okay, he's getting his motor because he's on schedule and he's got to go. And he looks down at me and I look up at him and I smile. And I know he's thinking, oh, she thinks I'm cute. What I'm thinking is, well, you big pink idiot, if you knew that what is stopping you right now was invented by a black man, you'd run that light. But he doesn't know that. So mm. he thinks I'm admiring him and instead I'm sitting there making fun of him. And I'm thinking, yes, sir, when he guns his motor. And for me, sir is an acronym for simple, ignorant, racist. Mm. Simple as that. So if I call you sir, watch out. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit, just if you could shed some light on what do you think began white supremacy and how do you think we could most effectively fight it, fight against it? If, if you read the book, The Myth of Race, you will realize that before Columbus discovered America, before 1492, there were blacks and whites, but slavery was not based on the color of your skin. But then, the, during the Spanish Inquisition, Torquemada and company were trying to kill people who weren't Christian because it's, you know, you can bring people to Christ by killing them. They are much more worshipful when they're in the grave, evidently. But anyway, he was killing people because he thought they weren't Christian. He found out he killed a whole bunch of people who were Christians. So he realized that he couldn't tell what your religion was by looking at you. So he had to find a way to decide who deserved to die. Mm. probably wasn't Christian, and based it on skin color. And that's how long this particular problem has been going on, only for a little over 500 years. You have to realize that, yes, there have always been people of different colors, but slavery was not dependent on skin color. Slavery was dependent on a whole lot of other things, but not skin color, until the 1400s. So right now, in this country, we are using... 15th and 16th century vocabulary mm. and ideas to solve problems in the 21st century. You can't do it. You've got to get into the 21st century if you're going to solve the problems we have. It's entirely different now. We have instant communication. What I say today in five minutes can be heard in South Africa mm. and in England. And I get letters from people all over the world now because they're hearing a different a different kind of story. I don't believe in race. I believe there's only one race, it's the human race. You and I are 30th to 50th cousins because we both have the same ancestor back there 300,000 to 500,000 years ago. That's a fact. If you don't like it, you have my sympathy, but you still have to be my cousin. <laughs> What about the education as it pertains? I know we spoke some about it earlier, but the way our children are being misdirected and, and, and lied to on a regular basis and taught to celebrate their, their masters, like, you know, and losers of have, war. What we have in this country is not education. It's indoctrination. 
Mm. There's a there is an elementary you know course of study. There's a standard elementary curriculum, and we teach the things that we have always taught. Columbus discovered America. Columbus did not discover America. Impossible. We mm. might have one or two that know that one or two white males that were fantastic, but not everything that's invented in this country is invented by black by white males. If when you put your shoes on in the morning, you would say to yourself, "Thank you." Jan Ernst Matt Zilliger for inventing the last so that we could have easily made shoes instead of putting them putting them together sewing them together by ourselves if when you get a trans blood transfusion using stored plasma you need to say thank you Dr. Charles Drew because you created or helped to create a way to save blood plasma so that we could use it in another person if you would you know if you knew all the things that we got from people of color, it would change the way we educate in this country. We do not tell the truth. We, we indoctrinate in such a way that everybody believes in the rightness of whiteness. I don't believe in the rightness of whiteness because there are no white people. We're all shades of brown, period, get over it. You, hmm. I have on, what color is the shirt I'm wearing? Uh, it seems to be white, as, 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 okay. as mine. Can you see where my skin begins and my shirt leaves off? Yeah. Well, then is my skin white? No, it isn't. It's a, it's a, it's a beige or no, tan, if you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you go to the thesaurus and look up synonyms for brown, you'll find about 150 words. And one of those words you can apply to one of the people on this color, on this thing out of the National Geographic magazine. Mm. And underneath each of these is a number. These are on the Pantone color wheel. We can all find our number on the Pantone color wheel, and there isn't a single person on this picture that is this the color of this rim, because right. there are no white people. There are only people who are shades of brown. So with, with if we all, would, if we just go on. No, nah, well, no, please finish. You're smarter than if me. We would please just, take the floor. For instance, I'm not smarter than you are, and you know I'm not, and you're only saying that because you want to keep me talking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good way to do it. <laughs> if when kids, I'm not smart, but I'm not stupid. Now, if when kids, when the teachers hand out the crayons to kids in kindergarten and gives them a bunch of crayons and then picks up the white crayon and says, this is white. Now, boys and girls, hold it against your skin. And those kids are going to go, well, my skin doesn't match this white color. And the teacher can say, you're right, it doesn't. Because you aren't white. Find a crayon in this box of Crayolas, this Grant's box of crayons. Find one that matches your skin. Every kid can find one because now the Crayola Crayon Company has come out with most kids can find one with a box of skin, earth, earth colored crayons. Mm -hmm. So that every kid now can find a color in the Crayola Crayon box that matches his or her skin. Mm. Several years ago, we, we recreated um, flesh-colored nylons, pantyhose, flesh-colored. Okay. Guess, yes, guess who, whose flesh they matched. Everyone? No black woman could wear those and have it not, have it not be obvious that she was wearing pantyhose that were not the color of her skin. Gotcha. We have flesh-colored band-aids that match my skin. Right. This is not the only color of flesh. You need to know that. There are all kinds of colors of flesh. They are not all this color. But we are so benighted in this society that 
we say, they call me a white person. I say, don't call me white. <laughs> I'm not white. I, I don't, I'm, there are white people on the earth. And if you don't believe it, you look at, you Google Tanzania and look at what happens to people who are white, who are albinos in Tanzania. And it will make you absolutely furious. Mm. I mean, a lot of things uh, are very emotionally charged right now, as they should be. I think, you know, um, all things have a time and a place. And um, you have basically rocked the entire nation with your experience of brown eye versus blue eyes. Um, no, no tip. No, no, no tip. I didn't rock the entire nation. Make no mistake about this. A few people heard about it, and a few people were in favor of it, but I got more hate letters than I got letters praising what I did. So, no, it didn't rock the entire nation, but it does. That exercise and the ramifications do, those things do scare white people to death. Because mm. white people know that in 30 years, white people will be a numerical minority in the United States of America. And every time I do a program, some liberal female about the third row back stands up and says, well, if those people, and I know who she's talking about when she says those people, mm. if those people get power, aren't they going to want to do to us what we have done to them? Now, that, was at, that question was asked of me at the University of Houston. And the woman sitting on the stage beside me was Angela Davis. Mm. And when that question was asked, she went, and then I said, well, you're afraid that when they get how are they going to want to get even with us, right? Yes, yes. I said, well, let's see if that's true. Well, every black person in this room, and there are 1,500 people in that room, and half of them were black. I said, well, every black person in this room, anybody who considers himself or herself black, who wants to get even with all white folks, please stand. Three young black males stood up. The rest mm -hmm. of them all turned around and looked at them like, how crazy are you? And the woman, the, this white woman, was immediately relieved. I said, now, isn't that wonderful? Now, let's be honest about this. Well, every black person in this room who wants to get even with one or two white people, please stand. They all jumped up laughing and cheering and five-hiding, five, five, you know, whatever, high-fiving one another and just absolutely delighted to finally get the chance to say, yeah, one or two have got to do. You better change your ways. And this woman just, now once again, she's back to shock. I said, look, have you learned anything here? What you ought to have learned from this is they don't want to get even with all of us, but each one of them wants to get even with one or two of us. Mm. What you have to do to be safe in the future is act in such a way that you aren't one of the one or two that they want to get even with. Does that make sense to you? Make and sense. she nodded and the boys applauded because, hey, that's simple. I'm a simple person, Tim. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a simple individual. I deal with simplicities. I deal with what is basic. And what is basic here is there's one race. We've created a problem. In fact, we've had 500 years of creating a problem and perpetuating a problem that was built on a lie. It's time mm. to expose the lie and stop the problem. Mm. I think it's possible for black people and pale faces to communicate with one another. But you don't communicate with one another, white folks, if any white folks are watching this. You don't <laughs> communicate with one another by walking up to the nearest black person and say, see you, I don't see you, black. Because when people say that around me, I say, what color do you see that person? Well, I don't see him black. I said, what mm -hmm. color is your car? 
and they know what color their car is. And I say, well, you know color then, don't you? And you know this person isn't black, and you best be calling them, you best be stop saying, what's it like to be black? I don't see black, I don't see color. They do see color, but they're trying to justify the ugly thing they're thinking, which is, I can't relate to someone who's black, so I'm gonna pretend you aren't black, and then, then we can get along. Oh, no, no, I think you're doing a really disservice to anybody if you think you have the right to pretend the largest organ on the body, which inch for inch is your skin, is not a color that displeases you. If you are made uncomfortable by black skin, you had best not say, I don't see you black. You had best say, I have a problem because I haven't been around many people of your color, but I'm willing to learn. But you don't say, what can we do to solve this problem? You don't ask a black person that. You need to say, I'm working on this problem where I can. I'm not going to ask you how to solve it. If, I'm as, as, if I, as a brilliant person, am as brilliant as I think I am, and as a society has told me I am, just because I have lighter colored skin, I should be able to find a way to solve this frickin' problem. Mm. And if I'm not that smart, then put the job in somebody else's hands, which is exactly what is going to happen in this country in the next 30 years. Mm. Black people, people, people of other, other cues other than light tan are going to have to find a way to fix this. Because it's obvious that people don't know how. But you will find a way because you recognize the problem because you live with it every day. We, tan, we uh, uh, pale faces don't live with the problem every day. We are the problem every day. And we aren't going to admit that. But they'll have to admit it when we're in a numerical minority and they're praying. So the reason our fearless leader, our Cheater and the reason he is closing pan, Planned Parenthood. Sorry about that. The reason he is closing Planned Parenthood. It. What's the word I want? Planned Parenthood offices is because too many white women are abortions, and he thinks that's what Planned Parenthood gives us. That isn't what Planned Parenthood is for. It's to help women with the many many problems that they have. But he thinks all they're for is abortion in white people. At the, mm. when, in 1987, when the book The Birth Dearth was written, and that's the word, that plus the writings of Adolf Hitler are what this man is basing his governmental policies on. In 1987, 60% of the fetuses that were aborted every year were white. Then we started closing Planned Parenthood clinics. In, in 2018, only 39% of the aborted fetuses were white. Are we succeeding in increasing the number of white births? Yes, we are. It's a cute trick, and it's what he wants to do. Increase the number of white babies being born in this country. <laughs> the whole thing is so ludicrous and based on a lie. We should have gotten over it a long time ago. But it's hard to get over if when you go to church and pray about it, and you hear the preacher standing in front of a white male on the cross. Mm. Now, the Bible says that Jesus had king woolly hair, animal-like hair, and feet of bronze. Mm -hmm. And now we know that he was an Ethiopian Jew. Mm. Well, if you're from Ethiopia, the chances are pretty good that you ain't pink. <laughs> Before you? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you were like 11 or 12 right? yeah. when he first Yeah, yeah. and they had hot, yeah. cool, and vicious. Mm -hmm. mm. So that, that was definitely before me. Hey, man, so we're going to take a pause in the conversation. 
expeditiously so we can discuss this. Uh, bet online, all right? I know what you're thinking. We're currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB. You probably figure there's nothing to bet on. Eh, wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to rage on, all right? From their online casino to poker and blackjack as they're bringing Vegas to you. Bet Online, you understand? All open 24 hours a day and all online, you understand me? Visit the website to use your mobile device and join the day to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One. Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business sign up for a free account make sure that you use that promo code podcast one for your sign up bonus all right visit betonline.ag and don't forget the promo code podcast one p-o-d-c-a-s-t-o-n-e you that for your sign up bonus bet online your online sports book expert is it fear envy or ignorance that fuels this fire that they just refuse to let go of it it is ignorance and people like dinosaurs t rump or whatever you want to call him keep encouraging and citing fear in people so that they will fear people of color he he wants to build a wall on the southern border of the united states so he can keep those brown-skinned people out because he has said several times We've got to keep on here because brown-skinned people reproduce too too freely. Too many brown-skinned people is going to really kill the number of, of the people who have power in this country. This is all about racism. Make no mistake about that. If we can keep you afraid of, for instance, that ignorant white female with her dog called the cops to come and stop the black man in the park who was a bird watcher, who asked her to leash her dog. And she called the police and told them, I think he's going to attack me. He's attacking me. Please send someone up. They sent a patrol car out to put a stop to a black man who was asking a pale-faced woman to leash her dog. Now, the signs on the, on the park said, leash your dog. But she's a female. She doesn't have to obey the rules. We're looking at the difference between liberty and justice for all. We're looking at the land of the free where she was and the home of the brave where the black man was. Mm. And when I hear that song, you know, the, the national anthem, I think, the land of the free, that's all those white folks in the stands at a football game. Mm. And the home of the brave, that's those black males on the field who are willing to get their brains beat out in order to make enough money to keep them in their old age. That's the land of the free and the home of the brave. That is another interesting perspective. Now, do you think the the uh, experiences that you have uh, uh, replicated over the years, do you think that they were like received well or that the point went across so good because did it resonate more because it was told through the eyes of children? It didn't resonate well the time I did <laughs> I I have been called every name you could possibly call. My mm. mother kicked me out of the family after my father died. I lost all my friends. My kids lost all their friends. My kids were beaten and spit on and abused verbally, physically, and physically because they had what to this day is called an N-word lover for a mother. 
Mm. That did not resonate well. The majority of the United States who agreed with what I did were smart enough to maintain a low profile, keep your head down. And mm. that's what a number of teachers in that system did they get along to get along. But then several years after I did that exercise, one of the parents of the kids in, of the child in that class stopped me and this, on the street in Osage and said, we've been wanting to talk to you for years. We are sorry that we didn't stand up and defend you against the kinds of things that were being said about you. But we were, I said, wait a minute, you don't have to apologize for that. You had to live in that community and you had to get along with those folks. I could move out every day. I could drive over to Osage and live in Osage and I didn't have to get along with those people except with the teachers when I was in the classroom. I didn't get along with them. I found out how a typhoid Mary must have felt. I could walk down the hall and nobody would speak to me. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, just got, it got to be so comical. I could, I could ruin their day just by walking into their classroom because they were afraid somebody would see me in there and they'd think that that teacher in whose room I was was thinking like Jane Elliott, so we could, they couldn't have that happen. It was just a scream. My father said one night after I complained about what was happening, he said, Jane, just keep smiling. They'll wonder what the hell you're up to. So I'd smile and I'd laugh and I'd chuckle all the way down the hall. And they had to be wondering, why isn't she bothered? I was hating her. What's the matter with this woman? Must be, must be crazy. Well, we knew she was crazy. Look what she did with those poor little children. And mm. laugh and walk away. Because my mm. kids learned something that their teacher didn't know. You uh, uh, you just have such a an abundant pool of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, how can we pass uh, with the same level of detail? How can we pass the thoughtfulness to the next generation um, as they plan as they plan and galvanize their efforts and their networks? Like, what is your biggest advice to the next generation? You have to change education, but in order to do that, you have to re-educate the educator. And we're talking about retraining the police. We don't need to retrain the police. You train dogs and horses and members of the military to re- react in certain ways to certain stimuli. We don't need police training. They've already been trained way too long and way too badly. We mm. need to re-educate the police departments. We need to educate them to the fact that every human being on the face of the earth is a member of your race, my race, our race, and that's the human race. The problem starts in education, and we need to get our hands on the clergy, and we need to be prepared to put up a Jesus that looked like Jesus instead of something that white folks can be to. Until we change, until we change the way we preach and the way we teach. We will not reach all these children in the proper way. Mm. Where did where we did, can change our education? Wait, wait. We can just if we just do this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if we would just do this. Okay. If we would just start using the Peters projection map as okay. the Boston schools have. Right. The Boston schools have put the Peters projection map in all their classes, mm-hmm. the classrooms, because they saw me saw me describing it on the Oprah show a long time ago and as a result of that they now have this map instead of the mercator projection map in every classroom in the boston elementary schools that's an important difference this is a map that shows every country in its right size not in its right shape but in its right size. on this map imagine think about the map that you looked at when you were in school you see greenland hanging down there like a great big ripe plum well <laughs> here's the size of greenland 
That's how big Greenland was, is, is. Mm. Mr. Trump wanted to buy Greenland. He thought it was a great big place. I don't think he wants it anymore. Look at that dinky little place. That, that won't even hold his ego. So he isn't going to buy Greenland anymore. <laughs> Man. <laughs> sorry, sorry, once again, there are simple questions to extremely difficult problems. Practically everything can be solved, but if you go back to the beginning and say, here's where we made our first mistake, and now this year is where we're going to fix it. And right. we're going to fix it by saying there's only one race on the face of the earth. And you are not going to have people on the network saying, well, all we have a lot of different racial groups out there. Every time I hear that this week and this month, every time they describe those protesters, they call them racially different. And I think, Oh, mercy, I didn't know there were that many Martians in the United States. <laughs> you know, I don't mind that there's one in the White House, but I do mind that they're all like that. Now, now he's not Martian. He's not Martian. He's, he's Neanderthal. Neanderthals had inclined to, they were inclined to um, abdominal fat and slow learners Heavy and, had, had, and had orange hair. Mm. Now think about that one. Okay, that's a ne okay. never cease, never cease to amaze me. Never a dull <laughs> moment in every conversation we've ever had. <laughs> it's never a dull moment. Well, all... and we just realized that not not only is is he a case of arrested development. Mm -hmm. He never developed an adult ego state. He spends mm -hmm. his time in a child or parent ego state. He never talks out of the adult ego state. Not only is, that, is he that, but he is also largely Neanderthal. Now, I don't dislike Neanderthals. I have a lot of relatives. I have a lot of friends who have Neanderthal in their background, but not mm. as much as this man has. Mm. What do you mm. think? I will think about that for a while. <laughs> what do you think, uh, not just America, but let's just let's start with America. What is America's fascination with? free labor and slavery like you, they make did enough you say, money did you they make enough money did you say america did you say america's yeah I, would just, I, I only say america's fascination with slavery simply because they love it and 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 abide by it so much that they developed a department of justice that perpetuated the idea of free labor which is Okay, okay, let me, let me tell you what I think. What is America? What's America? Uh, when you ask me what is America's occupation with slavery, who are you talking about? Well, I, will, I guess the constituency that creates the, the rules and orders uh, and operations. But only, of, in of oh, but only in America? Only in America? Well, now, now, other, I feel other countries, they have their methods. However, America has taken it a step farther by abolishing slavery and with the 13th Amendment unless imprisoned. And then you go and just create all kinds of other excuses and justifications to encourage police to lock people of color up so they could inevitably get free labor. I'm going to land on him in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to land on him in a minute. 
Now you stop. Okay. Now listen to me. What you're loving is when you say America and you go into this long monologue about America, Americans, and I ask you what is America, and you don't answer because what you are thinking, if but you aren't going to admit it, and you haven't thought about it this way, is we are quite convinced that America is the 48 contiguous states plus Alaska and Hawaii and the islands on the east off the eastern coast of the United States of America. America is everything from the northernmost point of, of Canada to the southernmost point of South America. That is America. North America, Central America, South America. But we in arrogance have decided that America is the United States of America. So we re refer to this as America. It isn't. It mm -hmm. is the 50 United States of America. So you see, because we use the word America, and I didn't realize this until I was, until after the Second World War, and the men who fought the Second World War came back and talked to my father, and they said, you know, Lloyd, when we were over in Europe, we'd say we're Americans, and people from Brazil and Argentina and Mexico would say to us, well, we're Americans too. We're in South America and Central America. We're all mm. Americans. And my dad said, well, by God, I never thought of it. Mm. I never stopped thinking about it. He was absolutely right. And so mm. America is not just the 48 contiguous states and Alaska and Hawaii and the islands. It is everything from the northernmost point of Canada to the southernmost point of South America. Now, mm. only the people in, those, in the United States of America can deal with the problems in the United States of America. And when right. we deal with our problems as what we call ourselves the leaders of the Western world, then you'll see differences in every other country because uh, the United States of America is the leader and we have led the way, we could have been leading the way and were for a while to a better world for all of us. But now we have changed drastically and instead of people looking up to us in other countries, they look down on us. Yeah. But they don't look down on every American. They look down on people who live in the United States of America and act like damn fools. Right. But what is the, what was still, what the United States of America, what's the fascination with free labor and slavery? Like why? It makes money. You can make money if you are a racist. You it's can a make money, money so many ways. Well, you so, make money in, you make money in, Big Pharma makes a whole bunch of money. They can charge you an immense amount for any pharmaceutical product that you can get in a, far cheaper in Mexico or Canada. Mm. You can sell cheap, awfully horribly built homes to people in black communities and mm. force them to live in in ridiculous situation and charge them a ridiculous price for that and pay them too little for them to make their payments. And if they make their payments, they may be able to afford food and clothing and housing for their families, but there's no guarantee. So they go into debt. So then eventually you can pick the house up and sell it to a person who is a middle-class person for whom you will help and you will help them to build a better home. But you can make money off people until they get smart enough to say no, or until they make enough money to put a stop to it. But we'll see to it that they don't get to that point if we possibly can. We like the idea that we can pay them less because after all, we brought them over here from Africa. They should be glad. They should be glad they're living here instead of in Africa. No, no, that isn't what you should be glad about. Absolutely not. 
I remember, and I, I read a lot, and I read that Abraham Lincoln at one time said, most people are on their own back in Africa. Well, I also found out in the last few years that Abraham Lincoln was a Melungeon. He was part black, part white, and part Cherokee Indian. Mm. Now you think, you think of a picture of Abraham Lincoln. You see the length of his arms? Mm. You see the length of his legs? You see his face? You see the color and texture of his hair? Then you tell me that he is British or Scottish or Irish or German. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. He mm. was born in, Kentucky, in an area in Kentucky where there were a lot of people who were of those three color groups or those three nationalities, whatever you want to call them. They weren't different races. They just were different groups of people. And he was a Melungeon, as I understand it. Now, I read that and I believe it. And I looked back at him and I looked at what he said and what he had done. And I think, oh my God, why didn't somebody tell me this a long time ago? So now when people say, I say to groups, who was our first black president? And they all say, Barack Obama. And I say, actually, no. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was our first black president. And it ruins the meeting. They absolutely <laughs> refuse to give credence to such a thing. Black folks are delighted. <laughs> He's one of ours. He was. And when he was a child in Kentucky, they called him the N-word. Because that was a commonly used word at that time. Mm. Now, there's somebody out there right now saying, that's not true. It's not true. Well, if they dig him up, you'd find out that it is true. But we don't want to know the truth about that. And we don't want to know that Dwight Eisenhower had a black forefather. And we don't want to know that every one of us had a black ancestor. Every mm. human on the face of the earth came from the same modern human beings who were black. Hey, let me ask you a question. How are you feeling right now? No, really. That's a real question. Are you a little anxious? Maybe a little stressed out? I mean, you have every excuse to be times like now. Well, let me tell you something. There is a way to feel better. And that way is Feels Premium CBD. Feels is Premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. Feels is Premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. And it feels natural, okay? Feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Now... Me and the team, we've kind of used Fields Premium CBD when flying from country to country back when, you know, the world was open and all. And look, I got to tell you, man, it felt great. <laughs> hey, listen, if you walking around with a little more stress than usual, give Fields a try. All right. Never try CBD? Don't worry. It feels easy to take. Once it's delivered, just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes, all right? Now, the thing to remember about CBD is finding your right dose is important, and everyone's dose is different. So leave room to experiment over the course of a week or so. You may need to take more or less to get the effects you're after, all right? Now, the best parts about feels is they work naturally to help you feel better. There's no high hangover or addiction. Join the feels community to get feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause at any time now feels had me feeling better on my long flight and listen it can have you feeling at your best every day okay become a member today by going to feels.com slash tip that's feels.com slash tip and you'll get 50 percent off your first order with free shipping that's feels f-e-a-l-s dot com slash tip to become a member and get 50 percent automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping that's feels.com slash tip now, in your opinion, let me ask you this. 
Is there a responsible, a more responsible way to deal with racism or to carry out civil disobedience? Well, yeah, there is. There's a, it's perfectly simple because it's uh, this, you know, I think simply tell the truth. Mm. Simply tell the truth. Tell the truth about the fact that those first modern human beings were able to populate every landmass on the face of the earth without any modern technology. And then tell me that black people aren't as smart as white people. Mm. Try that on. <laughs> it's time for people to know the truth. Man. If we'd simply tell the damn truth, that would solve our problems. But if I tell the truth, when I told the truth in my classroom, the reason I didn't lose my job is, number one, I was white, I was mm. female, and I could teach that chair to read if it had a mouth. They didn't want to lose me, even though I was slightly crazy because I had talked about the fact that white people aren't white and they aren't any better than anybody else. But and they were willing to put up with that as long as I taught every child to read. Now, you spoke about telling the truth. And for, for, for decades now, you have uh, been somewhat of the OG of disruptors within this oppressive system of ours. <laughs> what gave you the courage? What, what, what motivated you or led you into like having the gall to actually step up and do, as you said earlier, the right thing? Martin Luther King Jr. was dead. Assassinated because he and Malcolm X were getting together. And if they had gotten together, those two men and their followers would have changed the situation in this country. So mm. they had to die. And they were both assassinated. Mm. And I knew that what we did was absolutely, totally, and entirely wrong. It was unhealthy. It was inhuman. And it was not what the our creed, our, our the things possible, the wonderful things we said about this country, what we believed in, it was in opposition to every one of those things. And I couldn't go into my class in the morning after he was killed and just say, well, he's dead. My kids said, hey, they shot that king last night. Why did they shoot that king, Ms. Elliot? I said, we're going to talk about that. So we did the things you have to do first thing in the morning. Said, first, we said the Pledge of Allegiance, the flag with the word, under God in it, for God's sake. When I was a kid, under God wasn't in the pledge because we believed in the separation of church and state. But during mm -hmm. Dwight Eisenhower's reign, uh, the Knights of Columbus lobbied him to get the words under God inserted into the pledge, thereby mm -hmm. making it into a little prayer that every child has to stand up in the morning and say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag with words under God, and they do not belong there, and they need to come out. Then mm -hmm. we sang God Bless America, which is a prayer, but it's got a lot of rhythm, and kids are happy to sing God and if you don't believe it's fun then listen to kate smith singing it it is nothing but fun we did that and then we started to talk about the killing of martin luther king jr and i decided the night before that if my kids didn't understand what we were talking about when we talked about this death that not only was i going to teach them the sioux indian prayer that says oh great spirit keep me from ever judging a man and walk a mile in his moccasins i was not only going to teach them that prayer i was going to arrange to have it answered for them because I had decided that I was going to do what Hitler did. I was going to separate my group on the basis of the color of their eyes. One of the ways you got thrown into the gas chamber during what's come to be called the Holocaust was having brown eyes. If you had brown eyes but a good German name, they
they threw you into the gas chamber because they thought you might be a Jewish person who was trying to pass. And so I didn't invent this exercise. I copied it from Adolf Hitler. The next morning, I, then after these kids said, okay, I said, you can, what do you get? You kids have any idea how it would feel to be black in this country? No. I said, would you like to know? It's like, yeah, yeah, we've already gotten on the spelling and handwriting. <laughs> Keep this fool talking all day and we won't have to learn anything all day long. You know, you did it, you did it in social studies class because the teacher was a coach. And all you had to do was ask last night's football game and you could spend the whole period talking about football. So that day they thought we were just going to spend the whole day talking about race. I said, okay, let's try this. We're going to judge people by the color of their eyes. Mm. And since I'm blue-eyed and most of the kids in this room are blue-eyed, brown-eyed kids are going to be on the top the first day. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I mean that blue-eyed people aren't as smart as brown-eyed people. They're as clean as brown-eyed people. They're not as civilized as brown-eyed people. And then little brown-eyed Debbie sitting in the front row looked up at me. She said, come here, that teacher here, if you got them blue eyes. And I thought, so this is what it is. This is how it feels. That kid now has pulled over me because of the color of her eyes. Mm. She has more melanin in her eyes than I have in mine. So that makes her smarter and brighter and a better person. Holy sweet Jesus, what have we done? And at mm. that point, one of the boys in the back stood up and said, well, if, if he didn't have them, she'd be the principal of the superintendent. They're both brown eyed. And I thought, oh, good Lord, look mm. at how this kid knows how to be a racist. I never taught him how to be a racist, but in this country, we learn how to be a racist pre-birth and after death. So the day was absolutely terrible. I put brown-eyed people in the front of the room, made blue-eyed people go to the back because, you know, blue-eyed people spread germs. They're probably the ones who are spreading this virus. That's, it probably came from blue-eyed people. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It does. We've it, done it that kind of thing during the second that's kind of the type of thing you gotta hear. You gotta hear yourself say it in order for you to really grab a hold of the preposterous nature of it. And I think that's the beauty of your exercise. Yeah, you don't realize how preposterous it is till it happens to you. Right. And because you're you're you've set yourself up to fail, so then I'll help you fail. The right. kids were. I saw things happen in my classroom that morning that I'd never seen before, and I know I would never see again. So at noon, I went down to the teacher's lounge to share with the two third grade teachers what was going on in my classroom. I walked into the teacher's lounge, there were a number of teachers in there, and when I told them what was happening in my class, the younger of those two teachers, who was about 52 at the time, said, I don't know how you have time for all that extra stuff. It's all I can do to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, I figured she hadn't taught reading, writing, and arithmetic yet. She might, might as well have done the extra stuff. The other one <laughs> said, over 62 years old, had been had been molding young mind for over 30 years. She said to me the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, I don't know why you're doing that. I thought it was about time somebody shot that son of a bitch. Mm. No. That's not the reaction I got from those teachers. Not one of those teachers frowned. Not one of those teachers said, Jane, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? Every one of those teachers either smiled or laughed and nodded because she had expressed their feelings perfectly and as the most senior member of the group, she had the most right to say what she said. Mm. And that was the point at which I decided I would finish the day with, in the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise, and I would reverse it on Monday. And I mm. would never send a child out of my presence to make that kind of remark. After they're been with me, they know better than to make that kind of remark. And those kids learned not to make that kind of remark. And when they went up to the junior high, one of the junior high teachers came down to the teacher's room in the junior high building, just furious. 
And my sister was substituting at the junior high level. And she said, well, what's wrong? And she said, the worst thing that happened to me? Well, what happened? I said the N-word, and a little boy stood up and said, we don't use that word in this school. And if you're going to use it, I'm going to go out and call until you stop. And she said, my sister, what would you do? And my sister said, well, I guess I'd stop using the N-word. <laughs> she shouldn't have had to ask my sister what she should do. That is that student told her what she should do. It's preposterous that, you know, there's that 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 this person had been so indoctrinated with just a, a, a false narrative that basically comforts them throughout their life and makes them feel better for no reason. And I think if, if you, you ha- if you tell them that if you tell them the truth. It destroys their self-image because mm-hmm. for many, for many pale skin, pale face people, that's the only thing that makes them better than anybody is the color of their skin. They mm-hmm. could be the poorest drunken person lying in the gutter and they'll look up and say, well, at least I'm white. Mm. Now, now uh, of all the many conversations that we had and the many times, and, and the many times we've, uh, spoke and spent time around each other. Uh, we've. I'm, I want to talk to you about something I don't think we've talked about yet. We know how you feel about racism, but what about sexism? Do you feel you've ever been oppressed more so because you were a woman? <laughs> I'm going to buy a sweatshirt on which it says, try to underestimate me. This will be fun. Look, I was raised by a Catholic mother. Therefore, I was supposed to become a nun. Mm. You don't want a nun like me. Forget that. I gave up being a sweet angelic person when I was about 10. And I'll tell you why I did. I learned about hypocrisy. My Mm. little sister, who was three years old and was the absolute apple of my father's eye, he would come home and she'd be waiting and say, he'd grab her and throw her up in the air. And he was so glad to see her. And she was so glad to see him. And he died. She died. Mm. How'd your sister die? And I was standing in the living room when my mother said, Lloyd, she's gone. And I heard this awful keening wail behind me. And I turned up, turned around, and looked up, and it was my dad making a sound like a wounded animal. His head was thrown back, and his mouth was in that awful rictus of pain. And I went out and knelt on a little wooden platform that my father had built to let us step into the house off the ground. And I prayed. I said to God, please, God, take me. They won't care. Just take me. Don't take her. And our dog, whatever, last, I don't remember what her name was now. She was standing there beside me. And I thought, no, I don't want to die. And I got up and I walked as far fast as I could away from where I had prayed, thinking that if I got, if I got far away from there, he wouldn't know where that prayer came from. And I said, don't take me. That's all right. You do what you have to do. And that's when I learned about hypocrisy. I learned you can say things and not mean them, but make yourself feel better for a minute. But if what you are praying for really happens, it could destroy you. Mm. What do you think? I didn't uh, want to die to save my little sister. She was a spoiled brat. mm. But my father absolutely adored her. And I watched how my father lived after that. And I watched how my mother lived after that. He didn't spend hours talking about it. He just closed up. He closed up. And it was, 
And I admired him more than any man I've ever known in my life. And I showed him the first film that was made in my classroom, The Blue-Eyed, Brown-Eyed Exercise. I took that film, it, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation made it. And I took it up to the hotel and showed it to my parents, just my parents. Mm. And after it was over, my father stood up and took his red handkerchief out of his bib overalls back pocket and wiped his nose, wiped his eyes, blew his nose and said, I wish somebody had taught me that when I was nine years old. Mm. And at that point, I knew that what I was doing with my students was right because my father learned from watching that video, from watching that tape of those kids. And he would never tell or listen to or laugh at a racist joke after that. If you'd start one, he'd say, you really mean that? Mm. And if you kept on, he'd get up and go in the other room. Just and imagine, you know, just yeah. imagine how many other people have learned the same way your father learned from your teachings. Um, if they choose to, if they choose to, but there are teachers who show that film and don't take it any farther. There, we've, we've done, we've ticked our box for today. We've, <laughs> today, we have, we have covered racism today. They tick the box and don't apply it to their classroom. But at least the kids get to see it. Mm. Now, uh, but as far as like, you know, the inequalities and oppression that women experience, how how do you think we achieve total equality, not just for black or brown or people of color, darker shade, darker complected people of color, but for women also? Like what are the what are the necessary steps to take? Let me ask you this. Don't you think that pale faced women are just as racist as pale faced men? Well, I think potentially. There potentially, you know, there are Karens in the world, but I mean, do I don't think up, do they? <laughs> I don't think we can do count. They go, do they go? Do they go along to get along? Mm, yes, in some cases, in let other cases, they uh, they go above and beyond to make them feel better how about how cases? they get along. How many cases? How many cases of white women do you think there are? You tell me how many you know who have said, "Will go against what my husband, my white husband says in order to make life better for you." Now it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. Maybe, but maybe, maybe, maybe three percent. Then who do you think is helping to perpetuate the myth of the rightness of white maleness? Mm. White female star. Are you not aware? that the civil rights movement was making good progress. And then suddenly, here comes the women's movement. Mm. And it took the emphasis off the civil rights movement because white men were willing to give white women what they were asking for because when they were doing that, we were distracted from what was happening in the civil rights movement. If white women had gone along in large numbers as they do with what, Me Too? That was a big thing. It was all about women. But mm-hmm. if those same, that same number of women had gone into the civil rights movement, white women, we, the civil rights movement could have made tremendous progress. But it mm-hmm. didn't because we allowed ourselves to be distracted by the women's movement. And that was overwhelmingly a movement for white women. Mm-hmm. They might as well have been sign, wearing signs saying, black women need not apply. 
black things didn't get better for black women after the civil rights movement. Things got better for white women, and they still are. If I were a black woman doing what I did in my classroom on Friday, the 5th of April in 1968, how good do you think my chances would have been for being still having a job on Monday morning? Well, uh, it's about as good of a chance as a snowball in a warm place. And how good do you think my chances for being alive would have been when I stood up on stages all over this country and said, what we're doing where black people are concerned has to be stopped. And it has to be stopped now. You white boys get off your polyunsaturated fatty acids and do something about this. If I were a black woman, I don't use obscenities. I simply, you can turn them into whatever you want. And sometimes I simply have to say to somebody, cut the duck up, I've heard enough. <laughs> cut the duck up. <laughs> cut the duck up. My that rhymes with another phrase I say all the time. Hey, hey, we need to, we need to drop the F-bomb and drop the duck on them. <laughs> now, we all know if that... If I were a black woman, I wouldn't still be alive. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that. you definitely you, you definitely have uh, a much more treacherous road to travel. No, uh, no, I don't. Because and, 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 and even even more so, not just the impact it would have on you, it will also, I believe, have a much, much less of an impact on society at large. I think that, you know... To see Nobody this, would have to pay attention to it. To see this message. If I had been a black go on, I'm sorry. They'd have discredited every, they'd have undermined and discredited every point you ever tried to make. Uh, that's the beauty of Jane Elliott. But, but they do that. And then they have to look at those films. And then they realize, oh Lord, there was something here that was worth something. And it came... I'm sure glad it came out of a white woman's mouth because I wouldn't want to have to hear this out of a black woman's mouth. And we say it, we have black women say it all day, every day, and we don't listen to them. We kill their sons to teach them not to stand up and be counted anymore. If you're black, do not put your head above the parapet because somebody will try to shoot it off. And that's part of the difference between living in the land of the free, as I do, and the land of the brave, as black women do. I can say whatever I want to, particularly now, because I don't care what people say, or what they think, or what they do. Mm. Don't care what they do, where I am concerned, I don't care. Mm. Hey, listen, man, I have a confession to make, okay? When I'm really busy, I barely have time to think about what to eat, you know what I'm saying? And as much as I want to eat correctly, as much as I want to eat more healthy, I don't always have the best opportunity to. That's why Daily Harvest makes it easy to have clean food every day without even trying. They keep the house stocked with delicious food built on whole fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest delivers delicious, clean food right to your door. It takes just a few minutes to prepare, and you never have to question if the food that you're getting is good, all right? Everything stays fresh in the freezer until you're ready to enjoy it. You don't have to overthink any of your meals last minute. You dig what I'm saying? They have delicious options for any time of the day. Smoothies, soups, harvest bowls, flatbreads, and more. Daily Harvest never used preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients. They work directly with farms, and they freeze 
organic fruits and vegetables at the peak of ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. One of my Hustle Gang team members, Nikki, she uses Daily Harvest and she loves it. The chocolate and blueberry smoothie is unforgettable and uniquely delicious by her own accounts and experiences. Daily Harvest is also committed to minimizing their environmental impact. They're in the process of transitioning to 100% compositable, recyclable packaging and they over 50 percent of the way there already all right go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code tip to get 25 dollars off of your first box that's promo code tip for 25 dollars off your first box at dailyharvest.com that's dailyharvest.com now i know speaking of you know your 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 films and the the experiences that you've conducted since 68 uh you re- you you recently reunited the 1970 class uh years yeah. after that study um how did that go well it was beautiful if i could have scripted that i couldn't have scripted it as well as it went those kids said the kinds of things that i would have if i were into praying about things <laughs> Uh, and I do pray a lot. I pray that that guy isn't going to shoot me. But those kids said things that I would, I couldn't possibly have constructed that as well as it went. They said things like, um, it just when you hear those remarks now, it just boggles up inside you. And you remember how that felt. And you just can't go along with it. That's what they they said. And the, the, this 15 years after they'd seen, done it in high school, in uh, third grade, to this day, many of them still remember what they learned on the day they were in third grade and we went through that exercise. And if, if little white kids remember one day of that so long and with such emotion, what does a black kid do who's been accustomed, has been confronted with this idiocy every day of his life and never gets a chance to hear somebody say, they lied to you. Now black mothers tell their kids that white people are lying to them. The white black kids have already been told that black people don't tell the truth. So they can't Mm. believe what their mothers are saying. Mm. And that's the reason my heroes are black women. Black women keep on keeping on no matter what we do to them. You can't keep them down because they've developed coping skills that we pale faces will never develop because we've never had to live with the kind of treatment that black people have to live with. I'll never, oh God, I'll never forget the woman at the University of I think it was Indiana, University of Indiana. I, they introduced me and we were going to talk about racism. We we're going to talk about differences. And a white woman said, why are we talking about differences? We are all more similar than we are different. Why can't we talk about similarities? I said, I'll show you why. And I didn't intend to do this, but she asked a dumb question. That's a dumb question. <laughs> so I looked at a white, tall, tall, tall. Well, it is. There are questions that just ought not to be asked. And that's one of them. I pointed at a tall, tall white male sitting there. I said, will you come up here, please? Okay. And he, you know, look at me. I'm tall and white and I'm okay. So I pointed at a taller black woman. I said, can you come up here? So they stood on my, one on my left, the white man on my left, and the black woman on my right. And I said to the audience, and I was thinking, let them not fail this test. Because these were all department heads and administrators. I said, now, do you folks see any differences here? Yeah. I said, what's the first difference you see? They said, height. That's the first difference they saw. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't go for it. I just said, okay. I said to this tall male, is your height important to you? Well, I, uh, did you earn it? No. <laughs> did it give you power? Yes. Your height gives you power. Absolutely. I thought, oh, fool, shut up. 
shut up now. But they don't know enough to shut up. And I said to this black woman, is your height important to you? And she said, yes, but there are some other issues to deal with. I said, we'll get to them eventually. So I said, okay, he gives his height gives him power. See the other differences here? So they said, age. I asked him if his age was important to him. Well, yeah, okay, does it give you power? Yes, you, so you have power because of your height, because of your age, yes. To the black woman, is your age important? She said, yes, no, it doesn't give me power, but there are some other issues to deal with. So I said, <laughs> once again, do you see any other differences here? And at that point, they said sex. And I said to this tall, pale male, uh, is sex important to you? And then he got red as a beat, and I said, oh, forget that. I just turned you into a man of color. Let's put it another way. Is the fact that you're male important to you? Yeah. These things happen, and I know it sounds ridiculous, because what we do in this country is ridiculous. He said, yeah, he, okay. As, yes, his gender gives him power. I said, you're pretty powerful, aren't you? Yes, I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. So I said to this female, is your, is your gender important to you? Yes, but there are other issues to deal with. I said, all right, we'll get to it. And finally, some woman said color. I said, thank you very much. This is the first time I've ever heard the word color. Now, are you talking about hair color? Skin color. She said, skin color. So I said to this fool on my left, is the fact that you're white important to you? Yes. I said, did you earn your, gen your color? No. Is it, is it an award? No. And it's important to you? Yes. To give you power? Yes. Are you afraid of anything you want to tell me? Yet? I don't have any fear at all. Nothing. I'm not a fear of anything. I thought, you just don't know when to shut up, do you, Whitey? <laughs> I didn't say it. I was totally disgusted. So then I turned to this black woman, and I said, is the color of your skin important to you? And she waited a long moment. And by this time, there was one tear slowly making its way down the side of that beautiful black face. And she said, I'm going to say something now that I've never said before. And I said, and that's because, she said, I'm a bit ashamed of it. I said, and that would be, she said, I have two children, both daughters. She said, both times when I was, she said, I didn't want to think what he'd have to go through. And I didn't want to think about what I'd have to go through when I lost him. And by that time, you heard a feather fall in that room. The only sound you heard was this man on my life going, <laughs> and I thought, cry, you SOB. Mm. You created the problem that you've got for yourself just now, and you enjoyed it. And I said to the group, all right, this man doesn't fear anything. This woman has to be sure that she doesn't have a son. White women pray to have a son because the son will carry on the family name. She doesn't have even have that privilege, that right, that much freedom. We're talking here about the land of the free and I pointed the man, and the home of the brave. Mm. That's what we're talking about. And that's what Colin Kaepernick refused, refused to salute during that particular national anthem. The people in the stands, the, home, the land of the free and the home of the brave, the home of the brave were those black men on the field getting their brains beat out so that they could have enough to live on in their later years. Uh, and as, as an educator... Do you think we achieve equality in the education system? Like, for us to do that, like, how, what has to happen? For black kids to have the same education as white kids and be, you know, and, 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 and be invested in as much they as... They haven't. They haven't been given equality in education. They aren't. We aren't providing equal education to all children. And we won't provide equal education to all children. Because in the heart of hearts, we know 
that any people who are descended from those first black human beings who did those fantastic things, who carry all that black DNA, are going to do better than our white students are. If we give them all the same equal education, we're going to see black students do what white students have done, which is make tremendous gains because all of a sudden they are being asked to live up to people's expectations instead of down to people's mm. expectations. In this country, black students are expected to live down to the teacher's expectations of them. Mm. White children are expected to live up to the teacher's expectations of them, which is why we teach a history that isn't history. We teach social studies that is anti-social studies. Mm. We lower our expectations for those black kids when they come through that schoolroom door, particularly for those black males. Because if they succeed, we pale faces have failed. Make no mistake about that. Mm. We will allow black people to become good at several things. Music, dance, entertainment, and comedy sketches. Oh yeah, because we want to use them and we want to laugh at them. But mm. we don't want them to become as good at science, technology, and all, all those other things. We, we are willing to allow them to become good as entertainers. You said expectation, and that, I feel like that is a very important word. Uh, because uh, of I, course I, it is. We, ex, we expect children. I think our expectations of ourselves uh, initially. First, I expect the, expect the expectations that our parents have for us. And then that translates into our expectations of ourselves. And after that, I think that kind of determines what path you take in life. But do you know how hard it must be for a black woman to continue to tell her child, particularly her son, that he can make it in view of all the ugliness that is said about him, around him, and around her on a daily basis? Mm. I don't think we have any idea how very absolutely powerful black women are. They raise children who refuse to live down to white people's expectations of them. Mm. You must have had some black parentage that was really excellent. And you must be, you must be re responding to that mostly. Even when you were in trouble, you knew that your mother wouldn't appreciate it. You're, I don't know about your parentage. But I know that if I, if I lived down to the expectations of the people in Riceville, where my family was concerned, we were dirt poor. And one of the teachers who taught with me, they, they interviewed her for an article in a newspaper. And she said, well, it was amazing that she was even able to do as well as she did, considering the family she came from. Now, I was expected to fail because I came from a family of seven kids with a plastic with a Catholic mother and a Baptist father on a, on a hard, hard rock farm in Northeast Iowa where the topsoil was about two inches deep and we had no money and we weren't mm. supposed to amount to anything. We exceeded their expectations and they never forgave me for it. <laughs> I know mm. they didn't. Still to this day, they say, well, well, she's going to end up in, she's going to end up in prison. They're going to find out that she's lying. She, she learned this from somebody else and I'm thinking, oh, sweet Jesus, let me keep my mouth shut here. <laughs> if you, if we knew how hard black, he doesn't always, he doesn't, it doesn't always work, you see. If we knew how hard black women have to maintain their sanity, 
in this insane in this insane city we would have a tremendous amount of respect for black women i think it's absolutely fantastic what they're able to do in spite of all the ugliness we put in their past and i love the movie the help and i love the book the help have you read the book the help oh I have my oh get the <laughs> You remind me every conversation that I'm, I'm not reading enough. Every conversation we have. Well, you have. aren't reading enough. If I say, have you read this and you say no, then you aren't reading enough. <laughs> have you seen... Oh, shut up. What? <laughs> oh, no, never mind. Have you seen... And I, you don't have to read it, but have you seen this Time magazine? I seen, I've seen the cover. I haven't looked in the, on the inside. I've only seen the photo. And look at the edge of this have you read this edge i have not those are the names of black men who have been killed in this country in the last few months mm. this is on time magazine now this is happens with black women they're holding the memory of their dead children mm. i work with a group of midwives they called me in a major city called me and asked me if i would come in and talk to the midwives and i said why do you want to talk to me I was delivered of four children in five years, but I didn't do the delivery. I was just, you know, I was just had children. And mm -hmm. she said, that's not what we want to talk about. I said, what do you want to talk about? She said, we are midwives. We are all registered nurses. We have all worked in delivery rooms. And she said, we know that black and brown women don't get the same treatment in delivery rooms that white women do. I said, and I've heard this from black mothers whose babies, the doctors told them to survive. Mm. And so they left them there because the doctor said they would never, they would never walk or talk. And one of the mothers said, I'm taking my child home. And the doctor said, he'll never be right. You need it. She said, I'm taking my child home. She took her child home and he is completely, he walks and talks and learns and is wonderful. Mm. You have to realize that with black children before birth, we start with them prenatally. Black and brown women don't get the same treatment prenatal and the, when they're pregnant that white women do and yet and yet they keep on going to church and keep, keep on listening to the minister talking about the many races and pointing to that white male hanging on the crucifix and they keep they keep the faith baby every day and i don't know how and i don't know why but i know that with their years we're all going to learn a whole lot because we're going to be in the minority in this country, the miracle minority, white people are going to be. And I told some woman that this morning, a young woman, I said, do you realize that only 20% of the population of the world is white? And she said, what? I said, 75% of the people on the face of the earth are people of other color groups. Do you not know that? She said, I never heard that. I never heard that in my life. She said, I thought white people were the most. I thought they were. I said, that's because that's what you have been taught. You need to realize that you have been grossly misled and miseducated. And she's immediately going, well, let's see whether I'm right. She's going to be disappointed because I'm right. 75% mm. of the people on this earth are other than faces. Mm. I'd like to ask you a question as an education expert. Haven't you asked several of them so far? Well, I'm going to ask one specifically tied to education. Uh, okay, go ahead. Go within ahead. the school system. Are you aware of the, uh, well, this question is going to lead to the next one. Are you aware of the Atlanta public school cheating scandal? 
everybody's talking about that, but I haven't paid much attention to it, quite frankly. Well, it was it was the the most high profile case ever in education. Uh, more than a thousand teachers and principals were were accused of cheating on state administered standardized tests. Uh, I've had. And, and you thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes. You thought that only happened in Atlanta. Well, I'm just going by the case. You know, they were charged with RICO charges, like the mafia and like kingpin drug lords. Uh, and and this was, I mean, I've had extensive conversations with both sides. I recently spoke to the DA that at the time that prosecuted the teachers. Why do you think they criminalized educators for going above and beyond? I mean, now, of course, you know, I think the DA that I spoke to, uh, her perspective was our kids deserved a fair chance at learning. Uh, but I don't know how. Was she white? Was she white? No, actually, she was she was, was she she's black? a black lady. She's a black well, of lady. Of course, of course, she knows what her kids go through. She's talking about her kids. She's talking about black children. Mm. She knows what they go through. She knew it before it public. I knew it when I asked some a group of teachers if they do such and such, and they said no. Um, you see, we give our report cards to the principal, and he signs them. And he puts the grades on them. Mm. And I said, what? We have to be sure, and he has said, we have to be sure that we have a group of students who have trouble with reading and spelling so that we can hire resource teachers to come, other teachers to come in here and teach those children. Mm. And another one said, I sent my grades with, to my principal, and he said, I'll take care of these. And she said, what do you mean? And he said, we won't be able, we won't need as many um, resource people, if these grades are up, I'll take care of these. And he changed the grades on those. I handed my seventh grade report cards in one day, and I'd given one of the kids a bad grade. Well, well, that kid happened to be a wrestler. And the principal said, you can't give that kid that grade. I said, why not? Because then he won't be eligible to wrestle. I said, that's not a report card. If you want to change that grade, you cross out my signature and you sign that report card because <laughs> I will not be a party to your lying. Now, you see, I'd been in the system longer than he had. Mm. I was older than he was, and mm. I was smarter than he was. <laughs> he was terrified, but he changed the grade, and he left my signature. And I went down and raised hell with him after that. Mm. I remember when I took down, we had to buy new reading, reading books for the junior high in the seventh grade. And so you look through all these books, you know, a book company or every different book company. And I read through them and all the pictures of people doing important things were white males. So I took that whole pile of books down and I dropped them on his floor. And I said, now I will not teach out of any one of these because every one of these glorifies white males. You find me a textbook that in which those, those uh, pictures are different and maybe I'll teach out of them. He could have killed me, and he could have fired me because mm. I was insubordinate. But he mm. didn't dare because they knew I could teach to read. So he put up with it. Mm. I chose my own textbook, and it wasn't the same one that he wanted me to get. It was one in which there were no not pictures in which the males, white males, are doing all the brain work, and white females are, are the ones who just help white males to get successful. Anyway, what was your question? The, my follow-up question was: Do you think standardized tests work <laughs> of course not 
<laughs> well, standardized test. It depends on what you're testing. <laughs> if you're testing what is taught in the standard elementary curriculum, they work until the teacher who wants to get a raise and get hired the next year changes the grades on the test. Mm. And I know that. And I know that. <laughs> I know that principals have said to teachers, "We've got to have a certain percentage of this class is going to be in the low group period." And those right. kids aren't supposed to do well on tests. When I, when the kids in this in the film, the Eye of the Storm, he gave me my class rule, and this is what he said to me. Pass these kids on and get them out of here. They'll never amount to anything anyway. They're never going to graduate from high school. Mm. And I thought words that you don't want me to say in this tape. And I said, okay. So I went into the (laughs) thing. Okay. I thought, you miserable, stupid son of a bitch. Who do you think you are? (laughs) That's what I thought. That was some of the nicer things I thought. (laughs) So I went. Do not encourage me to do these things. So I went into the office and I looked at their cumulative files. Every one of those kids had a high math math scores and low reading and spelling scores. So I knew that I was dealing with kids who were dyslexic. One of those kids, this is her fifth year in school. She had been in kindergarten, pre-first, first, second, and now she's in third grade because the teacher said she had a mental problem. She couldn't learn to read. No, she could learn to read. I know how to teach practically every child to read. She mm. learned to read in my class. By mm. the end of the year, those kids were from fourth to the sixth grade level. Some of them, their reading, their their individualized, their educate individualized reading score was sixth grade because mm. they were smart. If you get good grades in math, that means you've got the IQ. But if you get low grades in reading and spelling, you've got the problem. You're probably dyslexic. I know how to teach the dyslexic child. I wanted to do my master's thesis. On dyslexia. <laughs> the, the college professor, whom I was supposed to talk to about this, he was going to teach me how to do this. I went to him and I said, I want to write my paper on dyslexia and what it does to children and how we take care of it. And he said, There's no such thing as dyslexia. That's a catch all term for a lot of different problems. And I thought, Once again, you sort of. I didn't say it. I said, Well, then I want to write it on the blue eyed, brown eyed exercise and the modifications it has for society. He said, it's a fluke, it never happens. And I looked at him and I said, do you know who you're talking to? He said, I don't care who you are, that the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise is a fluke, it never happened, it didn't work. And I said, okay, thank you very much. So I went back to the man who was my professor, another professor, and I said, Dr. Lamberry, this is what just happened to me. And he said, Jane, you think you'll be a better teacher if you have a master's degree? I said, not really. He said, then why are you bothering? Why bother? It'll raise your wages, but a better teacher. Forget about it. So I dropped out of school, went home, and enjoyed my husband and children. Because nobody told me that dyslexia isn't real, that it's just a term, a catch-all term for a lot of problems. And nobody's going to tell me that the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise is a fluke. Because now, when I watch what's happening outside my home, outside my window, my house, or when I walk down the street, I see this society replicating the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise at every group in this country right now. Mm-hmm. We are picking out groups of people on the basis of physical characteristics or 
religion characteristic over which they have no control and we are treating them badly because of that physical characteristic or because of the way they worship. Replicating the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise at the national level and I was replicating what Hitler did. Mm. You want to think about that when you have a president who in his bedroom has a bedside table in which there is a locked drawer in which is the book of the writings of Adolf Hitler. Mm. Think mm. about that. And I have been thinking for three and a half years, this is what happened in the 30s and the beginning of the 40s. And mm. then I read the book. And the book you've got to read is When at Times the Mob is Swayed. When at Times the Mob, M-O-B, is Swayed. That's W-A-Y-E-D. Everybody has to read that book. Because then you may realize that the most important election this country will ever experience is the one that happens on the second of 2020. Mm. I mean, uh, so I've wrote, I've written down a couple of this. The myth of race and when at times the mob is Be sure you get the Sussman. Wait, be sure, wait, be sure you get the Sussman book. S-U-S-S-M-A-N. Be sure you get the book that was written by Robert Wald Sussman because there's a book with that title, but it is not nearly as good as this one. Go on. So the myth of race is Sussman? Sussman, S-U-S-S-M-A-N. Okay. And then there was a third And the one. other one, oh, oh, oh. Uh, the Color of Law. Color, color of law. law. You have to read this. The Color of Law. You just have to read this. Timothy Snyder's book. Have you read Timothy Snyder's books? One is On Tyranny. It's about this thick. It's absolutely fantastic. Everybody has to read it because it's the 10 lessons we have learned from the 20th century. They are fantastic. And it's one, it's 20 lessons that you have to know. It's Timothy Snyder's On Tyranny. And then he wrote On the Road to Unfreedom. And it's, what he's describing is what's happening in this country right now. Mm. We are on the road to unfreedom. We are following a dictator. Mm. And we have to stop. Or, revolting, to or revolting against a dictator. We have to find the line. There's nowhere to straddle. You're either going to follow the dictator or revolt. No, all you have to do is vote right in November. Vote right in November. I don't don't vote for Bernie Sanders just because his name is on the thing because he will take votes away from Biden. You don't want that to happen because if if you vote for Bernie Sanders, it's just like voting for Trump. It's just like saying, well, I'm going to vote for Sanders. So then Biden doesn't get that vote. And so Trump wins. You must not allow that to happen. You must get to the communities of people of color and say, let's fix this thing. People of color have the numbers and the intelligence and the power right now to fix this thing if you choose to if you choose not to then you just have to throw up your hands and say one person one vote doesn't make a difference one vote makes a difference everybody needs to vote for the right person and it's but i didn't want to vote for hillary clinton but i did because i didn't want trump to get it Mm. and then here come the people in four states who obviously didn't know why Thomas Jefferson put the age in the Constitution. And he put it there to be sure that no person who was unfit for that job 
would ever be elected to the presidency of the United States. The people in those four states simply went along with the state instead of going along with what Thomas Jefferson expected them to do, which was mm. vote for somebody who wasn't unfit for the job. You know, and I know, Donald Trump was unfit for the job, and he is doubly unfit for that job now because he has created a bunch of messes that he doesn't have the skills, the intelligence, or the knowledge to clean up. So you've got to vote for somebody who can clean this mess up. And that's who has intelligence and who has knowledge and who has experience. Whether or not you like him, the only one is Joe Biden. Yeah. Don't care whether you like him. Well, Does he have the knowledge? Does he have the experience? Can't necessarily be much worse. And I think you raised a great point when people say my vote doesn't count and what difference does it make? Uh, and my answer to that is always, if it didn't count and if it wasn't effective, why would they work so hard to prevent you from doing it? To mm -hmm. shut down the post office. If we can't get the people in the Senate and the House of Representatives to agree that we can't have write-in, we can't have mail-in votes, we can't get that. If they refuse to allow those votes to, to happen, then if they can't, if they'll shut down the post office so that you then, even if you want to send your vote, it can't because there's no post office. And most city situations can't run down to the office and hand their votes to somebody. No, it's ridiculous. Man, I've, ridiculous. I've taken up so much of your time. I appreciate your patience and, you know, your willingness to humor me in my questions and I know it it must you know it must seem a bit uh, outlandish at times but finally I want to say to you you are truly an amazing inspiration a national treasure and uh, I just want to know who who inspires you my father my father my father said don't judge a book by cover. And my father said, if you're going to lie, don't lie to me. And my, also, my father also said, a man is judged by the company he keeps and the best of company is none too good. And you look at the company that our president keeps mm. and you listen to my father. A man is judged by the company he keeps and the best of company is none too good. And he said, he had said every week because there were seven of us and he had to repeat it over and over. Mm. He said, you know the difference between right and wrong. Now do the right thing, goddammit. So you did the right thing because dad said you knew the difference between right and wrong. So you did the right thing. You did what he considered the right thing. He was the most moral man I have ever known in my life. He would not tell a lie. He would, you could not get that man to tell a lie. On mm. the other hand, my mother was kind of casual <laughs> about <laughs> truth. He wasn't. There was nothing casual about truth for him. Right. It was either right or it was wrong, and you knew the difference. I do the right thing. Well, he did a phenomenal job at inspiring a uh, a, a revolt, uh, a, a disruptor of sorts that has Wait ignited. A minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You haven't heard what I've been saying. <laughs> what I learned about racism, I learned from black women. I talk to people of color. I they tell me the truth they aren't lying when they say the kinds of things that are happening to their children mm. i 
am and because of my father, but also because of what I've learned from people of color. I read everything I can about what is happening to people of different groups in this country, and it, it's always the same. And then I read what happens with white folks. And what happens with white folks is somebody in 1987, a college professor, wrote a list of white privileges. That's the name of the paper. And people are quoting that paper to this day. And when she wrote that, she evidently didn't know that there's only one race. And mm. she said, when I do the way that I can stand up and give my opinion, I'm not I'm not going to be judged badly because of my race. I can buy a house in the neighborhood I want to be, want to live in, and I won't be uh, denied the house because of my race. There are 24 of those things because of my race. Mm. I read those and I thought, how ignorant can we be? It isn't because of the color of our skin. There's only one race in the first place. And she couldn't put in there because of the color of my skin because that would be too obvious. So she mm. used race. There's only one race on the face of the earth. If she had said because of the color of my skin, they would have, she would have been laughed out of the college. But she mm. said because of my race. I wonder when she's going to change that. And people are talking about white privilege all over this country. They need to talk about white ignorance. Because what we're talking about is the ignorance that lets us think that you are privileged because you are white. Mm. Mm. Well, I've had always have a, a fantastic time speaking to you. I learn something every time we, we have an opportunity to converse. And I just really, I'm, I'm really appreciative of your time and your candor. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for calling. And thank you for letting me talk for so long. And I've got to go because I'd have to have another interview. I think at five or is it six, maybe it's six. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. And let's, we'll catch up. We'll catch up soon. Okay. I'll be glad to see you soon. And when you see, when you see Killer Mike, tell him I really appreciate what he did on Stephen Colbert last week. I really need all those letters. <laughs> okay. I'll be, no. sure to, I'll be sure to tell him that. <laughs> No, no, I was absolutely thrilled to see him there. He was the best thing that I've ever seen on Stephen Colbert. Man, a phenomenal brother with a with a, a, a glorious mind. Uh, I learned a lot from him as well, man. I, I'm like you like you said that your father told you you're defined by the company you keep. So I like to surround myself with people yep. who uh, are, are smarter than me. Uh, you two are the brightest males that I know. I don't have a whole lot of respect for every male, but you two are two of the brightest males I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you yet again. Usually, right, so at, we, at that point, I think we should say goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to end it here because we, we, I'd hold, uh, I hold you up for far too long. Thank you so much, and this has been Expeditious. Good, expeditiously. I like that. That's a good idea. Good thinking. Good night. <laughs> All right, love. Hey, listen, man, I got some exciting news. My show, Expeditiously, will now be available on Spotify, and it's free. If you already listen to music on Spotify, now you can listen to the podcast in the same place. Thanks for listening to Expeditiously with me, T.I.P. Don't forget to subscribe at Apple Podcasts and Podcast One, and rate and review, please. Expeditiously is produced, engineered, and edited by K.C. Morris. What makes a business a business? It's not the circumstances of a world that woke up on the wrong side of the bed that year, that decade. 
It's the everyday entrepreneur ready to put themselves out there. We're all sailing against the wind right now, but we will make it to shore. It's been done before, and we will do it again. To help you get started, we're offering websites, marketing tools, and guidance all for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com.